0: Warning, you are not defined by the worst things that human beings have ever done. They're part of you, but you're more primarily defined by your positive potential. That's a warning, I'm <laughs> warning you about that.
1: I'm wrong, you're wrong,
2: seriously wrong. I'm wrong, you're wrong, seriously wrong. I'm wrong, wrong, you're seriously
3: wrong. I'm wrong, your are wrong. Seriously am
1: wrong, I'm
3: wrong, you're wrong. i
2: wrong, I'm wrong,
0: you're wrong. Seriously wrong, I'm you wrong. I'm on own, seriously wrong. i chill but
4: judgmental podcast this is a podcast where you know that you can come to find a sort of esoteric world of references that you can use to feel superior to everyone who doesn't listen
0: we try to keep it really cool and elite and make sure there's
4: only a certain amount of people who believe in our ideology because i think that's the way to win So if you want in, first of all, make sure to pretend that you always knew everything we're saying from the start. Mm -hmm. And second, never, ever, ever say anything positive about anyone or about humans generally.
0: Yeah, it's like put your sunglasses on, sweetie, because you need to cross your arms and be above
4: all of it. Whenever I hear people saying, oh, humans are worthwhile, humans have done some good things, not everybody is guilty for the worst sins of humanity, I'm like, uh, excuse me, have you ever even seen that one scene from The Matrix? Scene from The Matrix, just nail on the head. Oh, yes, so good, so good. Do you want to wheel out the VHS player and watch the scene That's, from The Matrix scene right from now? The Matrix. I know we do it a lot, but... ooh, such a guilty pleasure, but yes, let's do it. Let's wheel this over here. Pop it in. It's already set up to the right point on the VHS tape, mm-hmm. so we just have to hit play.
1: Just hit play, and uh, now. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply. And multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease. The cancer of this planet you are a plague and we are the cure
4: chills down my spine incredible just holds up it really holds up do you want to watch that a second time one more go for a twofer yeah let's rewind
1: let's rewind it here
0: and watch it again
1: there is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern do you know what it is A virus. Human beings are a disease. A cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we are the cure.
4: (laughs) If I wasn't so cool and above it all, I'd be in tears right now with Mm -hmm. how beautiful that was. You get a lot on the second watch. Definitely worth
0: it. We'll put it back, but rewind it to the right spot for next time. People suck, man. People just fucking suck. You can't count on them for anything. You can't count
4: on them to show up on time for things that commit genocide. And that's at the core of their being, our being, my being, your being, everyone's being. We are nasty, dirty, mean. I've never seen anyone do anything nice if it didn't benefit them. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen anybody not take advantage of someone when they could. Well,
0: if that's your experience, actually, maybe you should join this new sort of secret club I'm a part of. Oh, secret. I like that part. What's the club about? It is, uh, how should I say this? Hmm. It's a death
4: cult. It's a death cult? Yes, it's a misanthropic death cult. Mm, Sounds pretty good. So, uh, do you want to join my death cult? Are we going to take these ideas we've just been espousing and bring them to their logical conclusion? Yeah, yeah, we are, yeah. Well, you sold me the minute you said death cult.
0: Will Jeffrey join the death cult? Will he take the conceptual underpinnings of misanthropy to their logical conclusions? How many more times will they watch that part of the tape? Find out later today on Seriously Wrong.
4: Today, we want to talk about a really important subject. It's a topic we circle around a lot, but we haven't given it a focused single episode attention like this before, and we think it's important to do that.
0: What I want to say is that misanthropy, the ideology of distrusting, disliking human beings, is a death cult. And identifying with misanthropy is a one-way
4: ticket to death town for everyone. I was having this conversation recently when someone posted a thread that said, I support universal human rights, but I also hate all humans. And people think this is a contradiction. And I was like, well, it is a contradiction, but at least you're right on the supporting universal human rights things. People have contradicting views all the time. But then someone was trying to argue, you can hate the idea of humans or think that humans existing is a mistake and it would be better if they didn't, but then we should still support rights. I was like, if humans are a mistake, why not kill all humans? There's people who believe this kind of stuff that we need to sunset humanity. We need to
0: just cease to exist in the future. And contradiction or not, I'm glad that the material thing they're advocating for is right. And what their quote, position on people in general is some collection of neurons. If people choose to live in the reality tunnel of this sad world where everything that's ever been accomplished by anyone in all history is a waste because humans are inherently bad somehow, and that's their little position they carry in their head, it's fine, I guess. It's just, it's a death cult. It's a goddamn death cult. Human beings have done everything that you know all
4: bad it's hard Here, to let me your... I'm gonna put on my misanthrope hat for sure, a second sure. try to convince me what's one good thing that humans have done
0: take care of each other for
4: millennia um, um, nobody took care of me as a child
0: It's that's not true <laughs>
4: It's true of my character. No, but I mean, every
0: every child... <laughs> I grew up on the streets. No, you did. <laughs> From That's, birth. Okay, I'm, I don't want to block you. Hashtag improv, hashtag no blocking. The only way that you could literally be raised by no one... It would, be raised <laughs> by
4: wolves, maybe.
0: I was raised by wolves, and I realized
4: the wolves are right, humans are wrong. And so I took <laughs> the wolf side. In the eternal battle between wolves and humans that will one day come to a head, I'm on the side of the wolves. And I don't want to be naive about what humanity is capable of. Humanity is really clearly capable of both good and evil. Yeah, definitely. We're not just one or the other. But
0: if I were to emphasize one, I would emphasize what's good about us What's the thing that we've talked about before about the the social science on how to respond to negative behavior is you ignore the bad things and you praise the good things. And that encourages good behavior way better than like condemning and shaming the negative behavior, which can reinforce it in a cycle. So like that doesn't mean that we never condemn bad behavior and always should ignore it. But it would seem that there is evidence to suggest that emphasizing what is good about humanity and uplifting what is good about humanity will encourage those good things to continue. And that people, generally speaking, prefer the carrot to the stick. There's still a place for the stick, but having an ideology that's a stick against all human beings ever, including your grandma, including newborn babies, Mm. including the people who have done incredible, like there's people out there that have helped more people than you can imagine. You're never going to know their name because they don't want people to know their name.
4: It's also not just a dichotomy between ignoring and condemning. The horrible things humans have done or the horrible things you've done or thought or felt or people close to you have done, you can also analyze and have compassion for and trace the... Why of that? Like what was going on for someone that led them to the place where they made this awful decision to do this bad thing? Having an analysis of the worst things that human beings have ever done is an essential Part of building a better future that minimizes those things as much as possible. I think the impulse to want to dwell on those things somewhat is a really good impulse. But I think the kind of nihilistic, ugh, gross. That humans just do these bad things and we're bad, and let's get rid of us and but blah, 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 it's so unhelpful. Maybe it's cathartic for some people. It's never been helpful for me as a catharsis. But if it is for you, I'm not saying you should never express anything like that. But it doesn't help us learn from those mistakes just to say that's bad. And it's bad because we're all terrible. There's a real analysis about the evil that dwells in the hearts of humans. <laughs> and that's a fine thing to talk about an analysis of the deep tension that's there between the good and the bad that is in everybody. But that's not misanthropy. And misanthropy, it's not just self-deprecation. And I think self-deprecation
0: can be really damaging, especially for people who are not in positions of power. But it's not just self-deprecation. It's deprecation of every human being who has ever existed, every person who's ever held the door open for you, every person who's ever fed you, washed your dishes for you, treated you with decency. And there's no doubt that there's a lot of people who haven't met that criteria that you've met in your life. But there's also a lot that have treated you well have treated me well or have treated us well. I don't know. Maybe there's some person who's listening who's only met entirely assholes their entire life. And maybe it's cathartic to identify as a misanthrope in that context. I'm a little skeptical that context exists, but we don't want to be spoiled brats who take everything good for granted and always focus on the negative. And that's what misanthropy is. You're being a spoiled brat Who's saying everything that everyone has ever done for me that was good was worthless and I'm entirely focused on their capacity to potentially be
4: evil. That's a death cult. I'm sorry. That's a death cult. Yeah. And it's also just bad logic. If you define any category of anything by an eighth of its characteristics, like the absolute worst things humans have ever done is some subset of all the things that humans have ever done. And being like, those are the essential things. That's the real heart of it is a decision you're making. It's a focus. It's You're the one putting the magnifying glass on that and saying, that's the essential part. It's bad logic. It's ignoring the fullness of reality. It's a death cult. Is it time for You Like, You Hate? Oh. Could we? You know my guilty pleasures. Let's do it. You Like, You Hate. Do you want to like or do you want to hate? Um, okay, I'll like. I can hate. I can hate. Do you mind? I feel like I always ask to like. You know, I'm a hateful guy. I don't mind. Hold on one second. What you're saying is that you hate humanity. You hate sweet little babies and moms taking their kids to the park. Those are things that you hate. Wait, so you like humanity?
0: You think that slavery is good? You think that murder is good? You want more war crimes? Literally the only thing in the universe that's ever committed war crimes we're aware of?
4: That's a species I want to get on board with? <laughs> it's crazy. Crazy. You realize that what you're saying is that you're against all art, you're against all technology, you're against the cumulative intellectual history of our species, you're against all poetry, music, and everything beautiful that humankind has ever created.
0: Oh, so you're in favor of genocide, you're in favor of all cruelty that's ever happened, all terrorism, you actually support historical slavery and colonialism racism sexism transphobia you support everything bad that human beings
4: are capable of that's literally what you're saying that's what you're saying because you're saying you hate people that means you hate black people that means you hate disabled people that means you hate women that means you hate children that means you hate gay and trans people. You literally hate every oppressed and marginalized group on the planet. That is really messed up. Oh, and you
0: support everyone who's an oppressor. You support everyone who's ever oppressed anyone in any way because that's what humanity's defined by. No, it's defined by the other side. You're literally saying. You're literally saying. No,
4: you're literally saying. You are literally literally saying. You are literally saying. You are literally saying. No, you are literally saying. You're literally saying. You're saying saying literally that Literally literally, you literally, saying, saying literally, literally, you're saying literally. you're saying. You're literally saying. No, wait, you're, literally, you're saying? literally saying? You're literally no, wait, you're saying. You're literally saying. No, you're literally
0: saying. I want to take a little moment to acknowledge that pessimism is also something that happens to people. As much as it is a choice and we've heard from people who have said things like you know i'm really negative all the time like i'm not optimistic about the future i don't feel good about people and i don't want to like shame you and say that you're fucked up or something like that pessimism is something that can happen to you mm-hmm. But I think that we all have the potentiality to see how to think about things in a way that will best serve you, because I'm absolutely convinced that misanthropy is a death cult, and I don't want my dear friends to fall into death cults.
4: Yeah, just to—maybe I haven't made this distinction clear enough, but I don't want to— shit on misanthropes, on people who have found themselves with misanthropic views. I don't think that you're bad. I don't think that you are defined by your misanthropic views. They're a small part of who you are currently. They're not an essential part of who you are. So insulting misanthropy, I don't want you to take that as an insult of you. There's parts of me that I would like to change. There's parts of everyone that I'm sure they would like to change about themselves. We all have room for growth and we all have room, you know, even to have parts of ourselves that aren't ideal. Like if you never fully get over some misanthropic feelings you have, it doesn't mean that you failed or you're bad in some way. And let's not
0: flatten humanity. Like when we talk about the fact that we're facing really, really serious problems when it comes to like the biosphere of of planet Earth and the future of our civilization, our species and the planet we live on based on the choices of humans human beings are responsible for the ecological crisis, is a type of true and it's a type of untrue. Because I don't want to flatten humanity to the point where a poor kid in Harlem and the CEO of ExxonMobil are equally responsible for the ecological crisis, because that's absolutely not the case. and In fact, speaking about humanity in such a broad way like that is kind of letting ExxonMobil off the hook and slandering innocent people who are victims of the systems that we're in, that are victims of history, that are victims of the inherited situation we have. It's slandering them unfairly and treating them as if they're monstrous for just existing under a system that doesn't respect them. And then at the same time, we're letting the people off the hook who have power, the presidents, senators, people who make political decisions about the future of our planet – they don't represent humanity. Those people are representing a type of inhumanity that needs to be stood up against. And they're responsible for it. The people who are killing the planet have names, and it's a limited group of people.
4: And also, like if we want to talk about humanity as a singular group that has taken singular actions throughout history, absolutely. What we have done leading up to now, no other animal like released greenhouse gases, causing climate change. No other species polluted the ocean in the way that we polluted the ocean. It's humans who have done this stuff. But it's also really important, I think, to recognize that humans are very, very good at changing the world around them and accomplishing things based on setting their sights on a task and then trying to follow through with it. And all of these negative effects that we've had have been side effects of us attempting to accomplish something else. So like a lot of this comes from the industrial revolution where we just realized, holy shit, machines can do really powerful things. And like this flurry of engineering, different ways to make our lives easier based on the discovery of oil and this available energy source that was never there before. And the idea that the earth is a finite resource, that the globe is only so big, it's not this vast open expanse. The ocean isn't so big that we could never hope to make an impact on it as most people believed until like, in the scope of history very, very recently. The idea of environmentalism, of ecology as a responsibility to maintain balance, It's these are all very new ideas, and it can be easy to forget that for people of our generation, people who grew up after environmentalism had already existed for decades, but like it hasn't even been a hundred years yet since people started saying like, oh, holy shit, (laughs) this could be a big problem. We affect
0: the world, we're powerful. Yeah,
4: it's been like really until it became a mainstream thing, it's been like 50 years. And we've had hundreds, thousands of years to build up these problems. And we've had 50 years to even think about how we're gonna deal with it and move forward. And people are coming up with a lot of great solutions to a lot of these problems, and it's only been 50 years. like. I don't want to say we're doing good, but we're not doing as bad as some people want to play it off. The situation is dire, don't get me wrong, but we're just getting started on fixing it.
0: One little addendum here to the idea of the evil that humanity is capable of, which I don't want to shy away from. I think that... A real love of humanity looks that square in the eye and and just like really accepts the potentiality of human beings doing the wrong thing. But if we look through history at the most horrific things that have been done by human beings in the name of human values, how much of that can be attributed to humanity loving humanity and how much of that can be connected to humanity hating humanity either in whole or in part oh
4: yeah no it's just so important because it's just like misanthropy amplifies everything that it claims to hate it just it just does
0: yeah absolutely no it's a it's a death cult it's a that's what i'm saying it's a death cult genocide it's based on reducing your circle of concern to only include some people as human beings and then put people outside of that as non-human beings and to hate them. That's a form of misanthropy because those people are human beings. All humans are humans. That's very fundamental. So I think that if you want to prevent genocide, if you want to prevent ecological destruction, if you want to prevent the worst things that human beings are capable of, we need to start believing in each other. We need to start amplifying the idea that, that human beings are capable of solving this problem.
4: And that we're worth saving. Like the planet's going to be fine with or without us. We might destroy some other life. We might destroy ourselves. But like, if we want to stop ecological crisis from happening, that's not going to come from believing that we're worthless and that we should all die. It's going to come from believing that we're good and we want to save ourselves. And the way that we save ourselves is to save the planet. It's all one concern. You need to be pro-human if you want to be pro-ecology, pro-climate. We aren't separate from the ecology of the planet. We don't save the ecology of the planet by destroying ourselves. We save us all together. It's one concern. Misanthropy amplifies everything it claims to be against death cult.
0: Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by Your Positive Potentiality.
4: You might be out there thinking, hey, I'm defined by the worst things that human beings have ever done. Oh, not so. In fact, what you're defined by, the most essential thing about you, is your positive potentiality. Oh, really? Is that true? Yeah, that's true. It's true about you. It's true about me. And it's true about everyone who might listen to this and everyone else. Okay, but what about all the horrible things that human beings have done throughout history? Those things are a part of us. That's Uh something we have to contend with. But we aren't defined by that.
0: Oh, we're not defined by that? Not defined
4: by that, no. Phew,
0: I was worried that I was defined by that. Well, thank you for teaching me this. Is there any way that I can support you for helping me like this?
4: Oh, yeah, totally. If you go to Patreon and type in seriously wrong. S-R-S-L-Y, or is
0: that spelled out fully? No, it's just
4: S-R-S-L-Y, thank you for asking. Seriously wrong. There's a great Patreon there, they create world peace. If you sign up for it, you get bonus episodes. Well, that sounds good. That's like having more episodes overall. It's more episodes. You get into a secret Facebook group where you interact with the hosts of the show. These sound like really good benefits, and it's a good bang for buck ratio. Yeah, just six bucks a month gets you all of that.
0: Wow. I think I'm going to count myself among the special few that choose to give a little bit more because... I just want to thank you for teaching me this about what I'm defined by. Your positive potentiality. Oh, yeah, that's it. And it's actually not the worst things.
4: No, that... it's your positive potentiality, which is the sponsor of today's show. Thanks, thanks for teaching me that. I'm not ashamed
0: to admit I didn't already know that. You don't have to already know everything. It's not shameful in any
4: way to just be like, I learned. That's how we all grow. That's you know one of the core things about our positive potentiality is that ability to learn. We should be ecstatic when we learn something and it's not shameful at all and now it's time for Wrong Boys Story Time the misanthropes history of the world at the beginning of Earth there was water and trees animals yeah it was really really cool and nice there was a hiccup here and there you know the dinosaurs got wiped out But things basically puttered along just fine, until... Some monkeys in the jungle had a mutant, idiot garbage child. And
0: this garbage child was so evil and so malicious that what it did next would change the course of history forever. It multiplied. More and more garbage children slowly polluted the earth as they moved from continent to continent destroying everything they touched covering it in garbage or turning it into garbage these garbage making babies
4: murder steal lie rape and they will not stop until they've destroyed everything and that's where we are today that's the history of the world and now back to our show
0: so, I've got a book here. It's by Murray Bookchin. It's called Reenchanting Humanity. It's something he released, I think, in the early 90s. And it's definitely one of his more oppositional books that I've ever read. Papa B. Papa B himself. But also, this book is so fucking funny. I highly recommend it.
4: Yeah, I still haven't read it, but. I thought that it would be just like a happy, positive book. And Sean's like, no, it's, yeah, it's one of his most polemical. There's an entire chapter about how people are fucking dumb for believing angels exist. <laughs> it's a whole chapter. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's good. It's fucking funny, man. I actually disagree with him about that. I don't think people are dumb for thinking angels exist. What I'll say is that this is a book of like theory
0: and arguments that made me laugh out loud, which is pretty awesome. I mean, he's talking about serious ideas. And the chapter I'm going to do a little reading from is The New Malthusians, where he's talking about the 1970s book, The Population Bomb, which sort of popularized the idea into public consciousness that the world is overpopulated, it leads to pollution, and the solution to climate change is for there to be less people. These are ideas that still persist to this day, obviously,
4: Hmm. in popular culture. Definitely.
0: I can say that if there was any single work that aborted a confluence of radical ideas with public environmental concerns, it was Paul Ehrlich's population bomb The one-paragraph-long opening of the population bomb entitled The Problem Remains, in my view, an offensive set of observations, such as is rarely encountered in the unsavory demographic literature of recent times. Ehrlich describes a taxi trip he, his wife, and daughter made through a New Delhi slum, where, to his shock, one stinking night, his cab's passage was impeded by throngs of people. Quote, People eating, people washing, people sleeping, Ehrlich exclaims with revulsion, people visiting arguing and screaming, people thrusting their hands through the taxi window, begging, people defecating and urinating, people clinging to buses, people hurting animals, people, people, people. People living in New Delhi slums have been known to do many other things as well, such as craft beautiful artifacts, make love, practice humane religious beliefs, play, dance, sing, laugh, socialize, and take care of children with each other. Despite the desperate conditions of India's poor, an earthy cultural vitality persists among them. Certainly, Elric saw what he seems to have wanted to see, people begging, defecating, and urinating in a terribly impoverished area of a poor city." This depiction of extreme poverty is so offensive, so elitist, and so arrogant that any humane reader of the book might well regard it as a moral nightmare. Unfortunately, most readers seemingly did not. How are Americans to overcome the third world's propensity for large families, in Ehrlich's view? Aside from bringing their own population numbers and growth rates down in America— Quote, we are going to have to adopt some very tough foreign policy positions relative to population control, and we must do it from a psychologically strong position. Thus, many of my colleagues feel that some sort of compulsory birth regulation would be necessary to achieve such control. One plan often mentions involves the addition of temporary sterilants to water supplies or staple food. Doses of the antidote would be carefully rationed by the government to produce the desired population size. As Ehrlich passes from the third world to the first world, he moves from authoritarian solutions for the poor to financial solutions for the wealthy. The U.S. tax structure would be changed to reward citizens for not having children and punish those who do, Ehrlich proposes. Additionally, we might also consider higher taxes on such perilously dangerous items as layettes, cribs, diapers, diaper services, and expensive toys. Ultimately, however, we also have to face up to the fact that these measures would need coordination by a powerful governmental agency, a federal department of population and environment. This agency would promote intensive investigation of new techniques of birth control, possibly leading to the development of mass sterilization agents. Ehrlich attacks the American government for opposing the suggestion of an Indian official, Dr. S. Chandasakar, that all Indian males who father three or more children should face compulsory sterilization. He declares, We should have applied pressure on the Indian government to go ahead with the plan. We should have volunteered logistic support in the form of helicopters, vehicles, and surgical instruments. We should have sent doctors to aid the program by setting up centers for paramedical personnel to do vasectomies. Ehrlich expresses astonishment at the, attitudes, <laughs> at the attitudes of Americans who are horrified at the prospect of our government insisting on population control as a price of food aid and sending people in helicopters to give people involuntary vasectomies. So wait, this Ehrlich guy was influential. Oh, yeah. No, he was massively influential in the seventies. He actually even went on like television to promote these ideas. He was, in the words of Bookchin, a cause celebre, someone who is a real important thinker of the seventies that was Ugh. passed around. Right. And the examples that he gives there from Ehrlich's book, which I think were like probably some of the less featured elements of his ideas, like right, when he was right, doing right, right. like news coverage and stuff, would be like, Oh, he's saying there should be less people. Let's talk about that. But there's a really good sort of polemical thing happening there. And that he's highlighting something so clearly, which is that population control suggestions are not population control for the rich. It's not population control for everyone. It's population control for the poor and vulnerable People with different skin colors who live in different parts of the world. They're having too many babies. They're too irresponsible. They're too crazy. We need to get paramilitary vasectomy units to fly helicopters into poor areas and then forcibly
4: sterilize people. Uh, I'm just like, it horrifies me to think about imagining just being in your house and you hear the sound of the choppers outside and they come in with their medical gear and start cutting into you. So horrifying, and, but but then it's also like kind of the natural outcome of thinking that this is the problem that there's too many people. You know, you might not want to focus on that if you're like a 70s talk show having this guy on, but it's like, where do these ideas lead? If they want to find a way to solve the problem, like, how do you solve the problem of too many humans? If you define humans as a problem, there's only really one direction that the solutions can go. It's like when someone
0: says like a racist comment and you're like, whoa, dude, that's fucked up. And they're like, oh, you know, I hate everyone equally. It's like, you don't hate everyone equally. You just fucking attacked Chinese people. (laughs) It's the same principle of like misanthropy is like, oh, I hate everyone equally. So let's forcibly sterilize Indians.
4: Well, I mean, that's like when you get to high level rich people misanthropy, because, you know, your misanthropy, if you're a listener and you identify as a misanthropist, might be to sterilize all the rich people. I hate everyone equally. Let's sterilize the rich people. But when that filters up to the people who actually have power in society, the people who are getting sterilized, it's just not going to be... It's not going to be the powerful ones.
0: I would call this eco-genocidalism. It's the basic idea that there is some sort of connection, a positive connection, between ecology and environment and balance with the
4: natural world and humanity's role in nature and mass murder. Again, once your question becomes, how do we solve the problem of there being too many people, rather than a more constructive question, which might be, how do we find ways to live good happy, productive, joyful lives with cool things in them that doesn't lead down an ecological spiral that destroys us. How is the better world possible is a good question. How do we get rid of humans is not a good question. It's a limiting question, and it only has one answer, or at least one family of answers, and they all suck.
2: Daddy, Daddy, what's that sound?
0: Oh, son, son, those are helicopters vasectomy helicopters.
2: And you told me about vasectomy helicopters. They come and they cut inside my boy parts, right?
0: That's right, son. The vasectomy helicopters come down from the sky. They're, they're sent by the government. And what they're doing is they're rounding up everyone and they're giving them an involuntary surgery which prevents them from reproducing too much.
2: Are they gonna do that to me today?
0: Uh, probably not today, son. Don't worry. But oh, someday. Good. Someday.
2: Did they do it to you?
0: Yeah, they got me after your little brother and yep, totally sterile now, thanks to the government helicopters. But that's history for you, that's just the inevitable sort of neoliberal progress of history.
2: Why do we have to have them? Can't people just have babies? I like all my friends and they used to be babies and you used to be a baby. We should have more babies.
0: Oh, that's so cute and naive and and insufficiently revolutionary, to be quite frank. People are pollution, son. The more people you have, the more pollution there is, the more the earth is damaged. Am I pollution? Absolutely, son.
2: And little bro, he's pollution?
0: Absolutely, yeah.
2: Oh. And you and mom?
0: Yep, yep. All humans are pollution.
2: Sons are a type of pollution.
0: Daughters are a type of pollution. I thought we were a family who loved each other. I didn't know we were just pollution. Well, I mean, in a sense, we are a family that loved each other, but if I had to sum it down to one thing that we're defined by, it's the fact that we're pollution, son. And that's why it's important that the government sends black helicopters in the night to give us all vasectomies.
2: Dad, I'm scared of the world that you've brought me into.
0: And that's why it's good I got a vasectomy. I'm scared of the world I brought you into too. And I'm scared of you, your pollution. I'm scared of everything. I'm especially scared of people. People are the problem.
2: Okay, Dad, I'm feeling traumatized right now. I'm gonna go cry alone in my bedroom, but... Okay.
0: <laughs> okay, son, well, I'm gonna go verbally abuse people on the internet because humans don't have dignity, and you can treat them like garbage. <laughs> Hashtag life in the death cult, know what I'm saying?
2: Okay, Dad, that's enough wisdom for today. My little tiny heart can't bear anymore. Please stop.
0: Are you made queasy by the thought of death, son?
2: Yes, Dad.
0: That means you're weak.
2: Okay, Dad. I'm sorry.
0: Hope you get a vasectomy, son.
2: Doesn't seem like I'll have a choice.
0: Everyone gets the vasectomy. That's the government helicopter policy. I think it's totally possible to like fall into this type of thinking and be a reasonable person. And like we said before, this isn't something that defines you. And so I'm just, I'm buttering you up because the next thing I'm going to say isn't really nice. The whole premise is kind of idiotic and based on not examining the pieces of the picture here, where if you're reducing it to, now this is a slogan in the US left in the seventies, people are pollution. So if you work with that slogan as a premise, people are pollution. Yeah, yeah, That's
4: such a perfect crystallization of why this is fucked up. Please go on. That's an anti-social environmentalism there, to say the least. Oh, yeah.
0: And I think anti-social environmentalism is the type of environmentalism that's most likely to be acted on by the rich and powerful. And what we need is a social environmentalism, a social ecology, if you will, Mm. uh, which is sort of why I've really taken to social ecology and Bookchin and sort of post-Bookchin, the people around social ecological circles that I've read, is like, I think this question of whether or not there's a permissible genocide in order to save the world is really, really fundamental. And I want to put a hard line that there is no permissible genocide to save the world. Mm. And also that it's not necessary But also this sort of dovetails into another thing, which you could call like left genocidalism. This idea that in order for leftist ideas to take hold and for us to have a better society, in order for us to take care of people, in order for there to be enough for everyone, in order to have a democracy that works and stuff, there's some sort of medium to small genocide between here and there. And I find that idea equally repulsive and equally lacking imagination and
4: equally a moral nightmare. Yeah. I want to go back to what you're saying about it being kind of idiotic and like not looking at a full analysis of what's going on, because Bookchin highlighted it really well in that quote. Like, I'm sure you saw people begging. I'm sure you saw people defecating, sweating, whatever the terrible things they were. Oh, no, they were defecating. God, a poor person pooed in the street because they didn't (laughs) have a home. But I'm sure that they were also singing, dancing, laughing, playing, like taking care of children, helping someone who has a cut on their arm, cleaning it out. These are just things people do for each other. It's 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 ignoring the facts to take a misanthropic position. And I hear this rebuttal coming of people saying, well, you're ignoring the facts because you're ignoring all the bad things. You don't want to take them into account in your analysis and realize that we do actually have to have a bit of a genocide. Just a little bit of a genocide. A teeny weeny little genocide is what we need. And uh, No, 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 no. <laughs> Okay, maybe not a genocide, just the spree killing, okay? Let's do a couple of <laughs> liberatory spree killings, and then everything's going to fall into place after that. It's a weird utopian in the pejorative sense idea that like, oh, the real thing that's holding us back from the good society is we just haven't killed enough people, because I goddamn, I hate people, and I want to see them die. Straight up, sorry, not sorry, but lick my butthole, you're in a death cult. And we've already said it, but I want to get explicit about it and push back. The counter to misanthropy isn't a blind pro-anthropy. It's not a Pollyanna view of humans that doesn't acknowledge all of the terrible things we've done. It's a holistic approach. It's zooming out, it's looking at the whole yin-yang. We're a meta-level above you. We are on top of the signaling heap here. We're not naive everything is great we're not naive everything is bad with regard to humans we are big brain universal brain looking at the whole picture And fighting for the side of good. The only reason we sound like we're ignoring the bad is because we're fighting for the good. And that's what our focus is on.
0: And I think we live in a culture that has misanthropy permeated through it. So when you start talking with balance about what humans are and what they're capable of and what the spectrum of potentiality is, you sort of sound like a Pollyanna because we're in a culture that's completely saturated with this loathing of other human beings. And it starts at the top. This isn't misanthropy. Santhropy isn't some populist phenomenon of like salt of the earth, working class people are having it bubble up out of them of just like, oh, the hegemonic masters, you know, they want us to believe in humanity, but we were so wise with our salt of the earth ways that it bubbles up out of us that we hate each other and we hate everything. And we think that we're guilty. This is something that comes from the top down. They hate us. They hate you. They hate your mom. They hate your grandma. They think that your grandma had too many babies. Look, this is some harsh shit. I'm sorry to talk about your family this way. This isn't my point of view. I love your grandma. I think she had the perfect amount of babies. She could have had two or three more or two or three less, depending on the grandma. But this eco-genocidalism or even left genocidalism, this anti-humanism, misanthropy, this comes from people who love themselves and hate you. And they've trained you to speak the language of them hating you.
3: We're at war. We're at war with people who hate your grandma. We're at war with people who don't believe in the human spirit. And most of all, we're at war with white colonial cis patriarchy. My name is Felix Bones, and this is Narrative Wars. Alright now folks, before we move on to our interview today, I've got a really exciting product that I'm just absolutely blessed to share with you today. Now. We all know that those sick monsters at the top want to take away our capacity to reproduce. They might clip your danglies. Helicopter vasectomies is on the menu. They will stop at nothing to take your swimmers away from you. And that's why we've got this exciting new product. It's called the Nut Saver 3780. Now, this is a really special product. It's a small capsule. Now, what you got to do is put your little guys in there. This capsule is waterproof can survive outside temperatures of up to 200 degrees and is completely refrigerated. In this capsule, we'll preserve your little swimmers for no word of a lie, 75 years. Now I myself, I use this product for about the last nine months, folks. I've been filling up these capsules and I've got one on every continent, every corner of this glorious God's earth. And I'm telling the Illuminati directly, please leave Felix Bones alone. Your game is up. He's two steps ahead of you. So today's episode is brought to you by the Nutsaver 3720, and that's available in the Narrative Wars store. If you use the promo code, help me, I'm afraid my nuts are going to be taken away by the Illuminati. You're going to get 20% off. All right, now, in the studio today, we've got a very special guest. His name is Aaron Moritz. He is the host of
4: TV's Aaron. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Felix. And can I just say, that product sounds Amazing. You know, I've always been an admirer of the squirrel and just to save my nuts all over the world in different continents. I'm going to be purchasing a bunch.
3: Now, I've had you on the show today because you're an expert on why the global ruling class hates the listeners' grandmothers so much. Now, I'm sorry to say that, listeners, but it's true. They hate your grandma.
4: Absolutely, they do. There's been whistleblowers going on about this for years. We had
3: three of them on the show. Two great guys and a great woman.
4: So to help you understand why they hate your grandma, Mm -hmm. first, I want you to think about getting sneezed on and then getting a cold. Oh, God. You hate that, right? Yeah,
3: absolutely. That's why we've got vitamins in the narrative war story. You can fight off any cold as long as you use my patented blend.
4: So when you get a cold, one viral particle enters your body and then kind of replicates and gives birth to a whole host of viral particles Mm -hmm. over succeeding generations. If you think of that first particle, the one that infected you as the grandmother of your cold, you can see why... They hate your grandmother. She successfully reproduced. Not only that, her children successfully reproduced.
3: That makes them sick to their stomach because they absolutely hate humanity. They hate the beauty of our society. They hate progress. They hate technology. They hate my
4: children. They hate everyone. Absolutely. The same indifference we would have to killing a virus is the indifference that they have for all human life. Oh, we've got the
3: documents to show this, folks.
4: They see themselves as above all of us. Being at the top of these power hierarchies corrupts people's perceptions and minds, makes them view humanity as a virus, as something that is worthless. That's why they hate your grandma, Felix. That's why they hate my grandmother. That's why they hate the grandmothers of everybody who's listening to this. So they, they just, they wish they'd taken her out when they had the chance. And I'm sorry, it's it's rough to say, that's not my position. That's not your position, Felix. Absolutely
3: not. I love everyone, listeners, Grandma. I think they had the perfect amount of babies.
4: But these people are insane. They have gone mad with power. And we have to stop them.
3: Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Aaron Moritz. I find myself getting very angry when you're talking because when you say, excuse my language, when you say these damned bastards hate old Marjorie Bones, my grandma. Now, my grandma Marjorie Bones passed away at the age of 89 from bone cancer.
4: Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. It's a killer.
3: Sometimes I wonder if they got her. But that's crazy. That happened uh, before I started the radio show. So it couldn't be that. So I just got to keep reminding myself that today's show is dedicated to Marjorie Bones. And I hope uh, you don't have to suffer through any more bone cancer in heaven. I assume that's how heaven works. Sorry, I'm not making sense. I wouldn't think
4: there's bone cancer in heaven. What if there
3: is, Aaron? What if it comes right with her? I worry
4: about this type of stuff. The God I believe in wouldn't let that happen.
3: That's a beautiful sentiment. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for being on the show. And after the break, we're going to be talking to an expert in the field of extremely tiny toes. Now, these toes are too small for the feet they're on. And what does that all have to do with the Federal Reserve? Now, tune in to find out.
4: Well, thanks for coming over to make a big, big soup with me. Oh, boy, am I hungry. I can't wait. And we're going to make it from scratch. This will just be a nice bonding experience. Two friends.
0: I love friends, and I love soup. So this is a match made in heaven for me.
4: So I brought the veggies. Where do you get a knife? I'll start chopping these up. Oh, yeah. So they're just they're up on the wall there behind you. Oh, Perfect. Uh, I like that hanger you have.
0: Yeah, actually, I got it on sale, um, and uh, yeah, usual price, twenty nine ninety nine. I actually got it down
4: at seventeen ninety nine. Huh, that's almost half off. Nice. Yeah, it was really, mm-hmm. really, really almost half off, totally. It's a great uh, great day, so I'll just start chopping these. I'm going to get this pot of water going, and uh, I'm going to put these bones in here make a bone broth. Perfect. A lot of minerals in bone broth, gelatin. It's really good for you. I want to make sure that this is a really nutritious soup because I'm going to be feeding it to the people I love. You know, you took the thoughts right out of my head, the words right out of my mouth, and the intentions right out of my heart.
0: There's something I was kind of thinking about recently. I've been sort of hesitant to bring it up, but I really feel like I can trust you, you know, and admire you.
4: and Oh, thank you. And yeah, no, definitely. Let's uh, have a chat. I promise not to we're... judge me. Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah, Judgment-free zone starting now. You
0: know, I'm a radical utopian leftist, right? Like, Yeah, of course. We can, it's possible to build a more, ever more perfect society if we work together in harmony. But I see also a lot of my friends across the spectrum of the radical left. I know people from all sorts of tendencies. Mm-hmm. But some of them, they'll just make these jokes sometimes about death and destruction, these things like gulags, guillotines, assassination. <sighs> I. I get that it's just a joke. I mean, in a sense, it's just a joke, but I feel embarrassed saying this, but it doesn't sit
4: right with me. It seems it really... It makes you uneasy? It makes me uneasy, too. I don't want to say it a lot of the time because yeah, like what? it gets to be like, oh, you're defending Nazis. Like, you think Nazis are great, or so it's like, whoa, no, no, no. I wasn't no, no, saying they're no, no. great. I was just saying, Nazis like, just... death makes me viscerally uncomfortable. Yeah, and I and wouldn't want... The sort of want... relishing of it, it's like, yeah. okay, well,
0: I'm, am I going to be the uncool guy and, like, talk up and be, like here comes Mr. Defends the Police guy, you know, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. no, it's terrible. Do, are you indifferent to the suffering of people who are victimized by police? And it's like, no, absolutely not. I really honestly want that situation to change. And that's why I'm committed to taking a strong ethical position yeah. that, that doesn't relish
4: yeah, I, I know. horrible, and it's like... like <laughs> what I end up doing a lot of the time is instead... Plowing the energy that I might have spent fighting against them into building a critique of the police that doesn't hinge on acts of violence against the yeah, individuals yeah, who like are in the police force right rather than Yeah, but our- like sometimes like I worry that just doing that without confronting those kinds of ideas and like it makes me look bad. It makes me look bloodthirsty when what I really want is to help humanity achieve the best possible future as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about the outcome. It's about the people who need help and it's about the... More effective world that we could have that's so within our reach. And what percentage of the airtime do we give to this oppositional stuff that's not reconstructive in yeah. any sense? Yeah. It's almost as if people tend to flounder in this oppositional state where there's this like yeah. circularity to it where people are trying to out compete each other of like the level of oppositional because when you have this unbalanced perspective that only the oppositional exists and that we can't even begin to talk about the reconstructive you have the situation where then who can be the most oppositional becomes a contest and the end game of that
4: is brutality and ignorance it's so what's the opposite of fecund it's unfecund it's not fecund it's sterile it's, it's sterile it's impotent it's impotent and it positions itself as being the only vector of potence you know like you'll never achieve anything if you're not dancing in the blood of the bourgeoisie and what I'm saying is fantasizing and joking and talking about dancing in the blood of the bourgeoisie is actually the distraction that's the deviation from the reconstructive project that's the thing that's actually holding us back from making progress because we imagine that the only version of progress has to go through that and it's is Gerald coming tonight? I think he's allergic to radishes. Oh, oh, glad you let me know. Jeez, I'll just leave them in the bag and not mm, bring those I love radishes out. personally, but yeah, I would worry about Gerald. Nobody's allergic to paprika, though, right? Because I really wanted to go hard with the paprika. You know I love paprika.
0: Why do you think I make soup with you instead of Gerald? Here, can you put this in the soup, please? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll plop that in. But yeah, what you're saying, I, I mean... It feels good to hear someone finally say that. I mean, sometimes yeah. I feel like I'm just worried to take the criticism that's going to come with expressing this, but yes. I think it's super basic. It's it's not just about optics, it's also about ethics and it's something that's important to me and I've had a hard time articulating that critique.
4: It makes me feel so much better knowing you feel this way and I didn't I, like I didn't know that because we're both kind of scared to like yeah. be labeled as insufficiently radical or we love the democratic party or that we're like weak effeminate fop-wristed ninnies who can't handle it in a real revolutionary situation and it's just like that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the ideation of death it's a death cult yeah it's a death cult it's a death cult right it's a fucking death cult man what the Uh, oh this soup already smells good If I didn't have other bodily functions to attend to, I might just leave my face breathing in this steam all day because it smells so good. But i would got to run to the bathroom quickly.
0: Well, let me just say
4: before you go, this has been such an enriching conversation. Treasure our friendship. Making an enriching meal and having an enriching conversation. Oh, yeah. One, two, punch. Perfect. Today's episode is brought to you by keeping in mind the types of people you're messaging might attract to your movement. Hi, my name is Arnold Malone, and I'm a violent, narcissistic psychopath. And when I'm looking for a political group to join, there's a few key things I look for. First, what's their attitude towards violence?
0: You know, is it something they relish? Is it something that they want to avoid? Do they have a staggering indifference to human
4: suffering and mass death? That's always a huge, huge green light. Just like, woo, 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 train coming in, Arnold Party coming into the political group. Because, you know, if I'm going to be held accountable for violent actions I take, if people are going to say, hey, did you have to do that? Was that important? All this, yap, yap, yap. I don't want to deal with that.
0: Yeah, and if you're dealing with two groups, let's say everything else is equal, you got two groups. One group is stressing, you know, the need for a complete sort of strategy focused on changing hearts and minds, building a mass movement and creating a set of values and ideas that people can really get behind, you know, just everyday people like people on the bus, people going door to door, you know, like just regular old people. And then on the other side, you've got a group that they tend to have a lot of in jokes about things like killing cops or. They reference uh, historical massacres and reference to each other when they step out of ideological line. Now, I'm going to be frank. I am a narcissistic psychopath with violent ideation. Which group do you think I'm going to pick? I'm going to pick the less liberal group, the more radical revolutionary group, the group that makes me feel at home. I mean, there's just something about that staggering indifference towards human suffering that's just,
4: <laughs> sign me up. It's like a big welcome card. You know what I imagine people with positive emotions feel like when they're being hugged? That's what it feels like to me when I find a group of people who don't seem to be troubled by the thought of violence. These people are going to provide cover for me when I do something that, you know, these frankly liberals in the other group are going to get on my case about. I don't want to deal with the getting on my case thing. That's just not my style. Get off my case is my style.
0: I think accountability for abuse and violence and just cruelty should be entirely based on the team flag that the person is carrying. So I want to get to a group where if I'm going to get the real nice flag and my abuse is going to fly underneath the radar, Mm. that really works for me.
4: Totally makes sense if you don't want abuse within our group. I try to direct my abuse outwards from the group to people that the group have negative associations with. That provides me with great cover.
0: And the best part is a good number of these people, they're good good people they're just naive you know they would never think to do anything like the stuff that they talk about they would never think that someone could be capable of the sort of plans and thoughts that i have and i'll always lurk among them today's episode of seriously wrong is brought to you by the awful wretched types of people who are going to be attracted to the culture of your death cult
4: Thank you so much to the Seriously Wrong Podcast for letting us have our say, because we need to get the message out there. Back to the show. I think sometimes people give themselves a pass for thinking like this, or making these jokes, or ironically, or less than ironically, kind of inhabiting the headspace of violent ideation, because... Well, the argument they make is that it's purely a tactical thing that they're doing. They draw on the fact that like, yeah, sometimes violence is unavoidable and people might die in the fight for a good cause. And yes, that is true. That might happen. Violence is sometimes the only viable course of action. But I think a lot of these people are, they're misleading themselves if they think that that's all their view is. Because like a purely tactical view isn't flippant. It's like violence might be necessary. And that's unfortunate. And if and when we have to face that, that's something we should take with the utmost seriousness. And it's just not this sort of like mythical view of violence as cleansing and purging the enemies and we're going to burn out the infection with fire and death and (laughs) and weapons and seeing the other people as not people and just inhabiting this misanthropic glee at the idea of seeing human life destroyed, you know the difference between someone who really truly has the view that sometimes violence might be tactically necessary by how they sound when they talk about it. Do they sound like they're relishing the idea of killing people? Do they sound like they're Relishing the thought of there being less humans, of this inevitable in their analysis, violence that is to come? Does that sound like something they're looking forward to? Or does it sound like something that they want to do everything they possibly can to avoid, but are willing to participate in if it's necessary? And the answer is usually the former because it's not coming from a tactical place, it's coming from an emotional place. And what's really tactical is knowing. How fucking horrifying it would be to participate in a genocide or to participate in a spree killing or to see the heads of the rich literally rolling through the street as blood spurts from their now dead corpse and seeing your comrades lift all the bodies into wagons and have to go dump them into a mass grave and how heavy the body is and how bad it smells because it shit its pants. And the blood is like, it's, it's not a pleasant scene. If thinking about that makes you happy, there's something else going on there. It's not just tactical.
0: And look, people are capable of having all sorts of thoughts across all sorts of spectrums. And I don't think people should be defined by, again, we we talk a lot about catharsis versus outcome in politics. Mm, And sometimes people will be so hurt and beat down by society that you could have a cathartic fantasy of what it would be like to have the moment where it breaks. And I sympathize with that. But there is something really, really fundamentally unwell about a position, a personal position, not a political position, that you can imagine yourself taking a human life without flinching and that you want to be that.
4: I think sometimes it's based on like a TV, like your view of what violence is is based on like how movies and it looks cool or video games and you just haven't really thought about it. You haven't placed yourself in that moment and what it would actually be like and how heavy and tense and life changing it would be. So maybe you've taken some joy in the thought of like this video game version of it. And that's, I'm not saying that's bad. Like we all can take pleasure in violence, obviously. Like we love watching movies with violence. It's fascinating. It's sometimes beautiful, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you can really think about it, what it would really be like.
0: I think one of the questions we should ask is, is it theoretically possible to transition from the inherited situation we have to a significantly better world that takes care of people, allows them to thrive, provides you know, basic food, shelter, gives people the opportunity to constructively participate in society, universal basic outcome. Could we get there without violence? Is that theoretically possible? If you say that's theoretically absolutely impossible in all circumstances, that's a failure of imagination. It is absolutely possible. It's a challenge. There's certain criteria that come with that. It's also a challenge to do it with violence.
4: Violence isn't this magical genie that you pull out of a lamp and then everything gets good.
0: And I think some people that I want to work with that we need to do some things, they're so afraid of getting called insufficiently revolutionary, insufficiently leftist Mm -hmm. enough, being called a liberal or something like that. They'll literally like turn a blind eye to like a moral nightmare. Obviously, self defense is necessary. If someone's trying to rape you, you can defend yourself against them and you absolutely should, and other people should defend you. Absolutely. Like, there's no doubt that self defense is sometimes necessary. And the idea that if I'm going to propose a tactic where every step of it presupposes there won't be any violence or presupposes that our tactics are going to remain primarily nonviolent with the exception of self defense when it arises. People will act like this is synonymous, even proposing this in a limited context, synonymous with a sort of Pollyanna, no matter what you do to me, I'll never respond pacifism. And so the frame is like, oh, well, that's so naive. On this side, we're wise. We're wise by talking about violence 95% of the time when it's only going to be necessary 0.001% of the time, you know, like the vast majority of human interactions are nonviolent. And the society we're going to build at the end of the day, ideally, it's going to be nonviolent. So, yeah, like it's self-defense and violence, something that's on the spectrum of potentiality based on the input that you get. Or is it the portal to the other world?
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, it's a portal, but you don't know what's on the other side of that portal because it's a very chaotic portal. And the metaphor is breaking down, but you know what I mean. Like, you don't get to choose the violence that's going to make the world perfect or make the world better, even necessarily. It might make the world a whole lot worse. I'm tempted to say we should
0: be actively pushing it out of the spectrum of acceptable opinion because there's a real chance that there's going to be people who pick up on the fixation on violence part and that's their primary analysis Mm -hmm. and they're going to leave out everything about like the future we want to build like you know with the biggest libraries in the world and houses for everyone and like families always get to stay together and aren't ripped apart by police the types of things that we want in that world. Could risk and i 've seen this i 've seen this risk being talked about less because people are fixating on like conflict with police, conflict with the military, conflict with government, and it's like you call for things, you build power, you build consciousness, you build narratives, you talk about the world you want to create, and at some point you may come into conflict with power structure. you may also not we don 't know what the future holds we don 't know what human beings are capable of, and we 're in a unique moment in history where a lot of very fascinating things could happen. But conflict is something that arises out of you putting forward what's right and what needs to be done. A lot of people make this mistake that they think conflict is, is the means of itself. And through repeated conflict comes that better society. But the conflict is something that arises in reaction out of these institutions to building people power, building up consensus, building up a description of the world we want to have. But then also, in some cases, we can look throughout history where that people power is built, and the conflict takes the form of power structure conceding to their demands.
4: Are you looking to construct new systems in the world? Is your view purely oppositional? Do you have no reconstructive project to speak of, or the reconstructive project is downplayed in favor of a stance that is about what you want to destroy rather than what you want to build?
0: Are you so afraid of being called a liberal that you'll kill someone in cold blood in front of their children? I'm not. <laughs> I, no, I'm <laughs> yeah, not. Call me not. a fucking liberal. I'm not doing yeah. that shit. I'll put a T-shirt that says "liberal" on it. Aaron, you don't like drinking the blood of the rich, like don't you like to bathe and dance in their blood, like big puddles, and watch their lifeless bodies fall to the ground? Doesn't that bring no, you joy? No. No. You know what? That's a moral nightmare. But I'm pretty afraid of being called a liberal, so I'm going to turn a blind eye to it indefinitely. I'm going to make jokes about
4: it. I'm. I'm not even against making jokes about it sometimes, but like your jokes should be bookmarked with the occasional heavy polemical against the use of unnecessary violence, because you love humanity. That's the reason to distance yourself from unnecessary violence, because you love humanity. You love the good in humanity, and you want to encourage and bring about as much of the good in humanity as you possibly can and you realize that focusing on the bad of humanity and purely opposing the bad of humanity actually brings the bad of humanity out in you and so you don't do that Mm -hmm. you leave the death cult leave the death cult
0: oh i remember that day i was listening to seriously wrong and uh, they were talking about the death cult i was in and then i realized i needed to leave that fucking death cult because it's insane Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by The Right
4: Tactics. Hi, we're Sean and Aaron from the Seriously Wrong podcast and we've got got some right tactics for you. That was the sound of me rubbing my hands together in anticipation of these great tactics.
0: And the best part about these tactics is that we're just around the corner from this becoming completely normalized within the left. And once we establish these tactics, we're going to be very successful very quickly. We're going to distance ourselves
4: from the death cult. Death cult, check it in the bin.
0: We're going to stop evoking the imagery of death and execution when we're talking about the need for radical political change, particularly political change that takes care of the most vulnerable. We're just going to completely scrap any association between taking care of the most vulnerable and the imagery of death and execution.
4: Yeah, those two things not inextricably linked. Actually, fundamentally
0: contradictory, really. Instead, we're going to start to evoke life, thriving, joy, build positive associations, laughter, community, family. Yeah,
4: that's the good stuff. If more leftists focused on that stuff, they would see so much success.
0: Oh, but the good news is they will. Just around the corner. The other thing that we're going to start talking about is how neoliberalism is the realm where everything is impossible. Neoliberalism says, be realistic. But what they actually mean by realistic, it's a euphemism. It's a euphemism for functioning within this narrow economic logic, which doesn't work to serve us. This narrow economic logic, which keeps the powerful, powerful, and the rest of us, not uh, the rest of us.
4: Yeah, it imagines itself as the end of history, as this is where society has always been heading. And we're here now. And... The idea that we can change it and make it better. We can't do anything, it's impossible. It's the rules of the universe. You know what, if you wanna change it and make it better, I'm the ruling class now. uh, My suggestion to you, uh, non-ruling class, is to redirect all your creative energy into violent ideation. So,
0: the right tactics, what we're gonna do, scrap the death cult, death cult into the garbage bin of history, and we're gonna establish a leftist counter-narrative It's the realm of radically more possible things where everyone can thrive. There's enough opportunity for all. There's an opportunity for everyone to build and participate in that society and be truly free in a meaningful sense, synthetic freedom, both the abstract freedom to do things, but also the material capacity to live that freedom. This is just around the corner. It's the right tactics. Today's sponsor of Seriously Wrong.
4: Welcome back to Aaron. Today, we have a very special interview with Morgan J. Beattie. As you know, he's the author of the top selling book, Water Your Damn Plants, Seven Golden Rules for Finding Balance Between Order and Chaos. And he has graciously invited me into his attic sweat lodge today. Morgan Beatty, thank you so much.
5: Thank you very much for having me on. I'm a a bit of an Aaron fan,
4: so it's nice to be able to meet you in person. Well, thank you, too. I'm a fan of yours as well. Oh, thank you. So in your book, you write about how misanthropy is often used as a way for people who are privileged in society Mm -hmm. to excuse themselves from their their responsibility, their personal responsibility to help change the world and help those less fortunate than them.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So what I write in the book is that they're coasting on their privilege. What they want to say is, I'm powerless. I can't affect the world. I don't have a responsibility. And you might say, oh, they are powerless. No, they're not. No one is powerless. We all have more power than we can imagine. And, and for someone to, who is privileged, the most advantages you can have in society to be so spoiled that they reject their responsibility to take care of each other. That's absolutely what they're doing. what they're saying is, I'm powerless. I don't have to do anything for anyone else. And it's pathetic. And they need to water their plants.
4: It can also sometimes lead underprivileged people away from sticking up for each other, just at every level of society, Absolutely, no, this, that's, this that's, ideology. I, no, I think
5: that's spot on. And it reminds me of something that was said to me once by a, a dear friend of mine when he was doing the ritual to turn me into the chief of the Kawakawaka people. Now, I'm actually their leader now. Oh, are you? Fascinating. Yeah, we'll have absolutely. to absolutely. Uh, we'll have to fact check that. Yeah, please do. he will confirm it. Now, now, what my dear friend was telling me is, you know, sometimes people, uh, because they don't believe in themselves, they don't believe in each other. And I think this is something that's uh, uh, just absolutely uh, disgusting in our society. It needs to be stood up to. And it's something we can all make a change with. And it's all in my book. Now,
4: I don't want to gotcha question or anything. I don't want to jump you, but I have to say-
5: These days, I feel like I'm ducking and covering every five minutes, one of these things. You know, I
4: took a look at some of the plants that you have in your porch, beautiful plants. Thank you very much. I care deeply for them. A few of them looked a little droopy, and so I touched the soil, and it felt dry. I was just wondering, did you remember to water your plants
5: today? Of course, I watered my plants. I'm Morgan Fucking Beatty. I wrote a goddamn book about it. Just, my God, it
4: felt dry. It felt everyone oh, makes mistakes. It felt dry people, to you, people forget. You know, even the best of us
5: can forget sometimes. Never hurts to have a reminder. Thanks, but no thanks, Bucko. I got my plants covered. I'm helping people. They write to me. They write letters. Morgan, you're filling a absence of a dad role in my life. Morgan, your telecon meta, modern, neo-communalist political correctness gone crazy changed my life. I help people. I'm a hero. I'm incorruptible. I've already studied everything and I already know everything. Yeah, I mean,
4: you're a very effective communicator Thank of some you. basic common sense. You're wow. you know, a wonderful speaker. I don't know about some of those last few things you said. If I can show everything, you my we email box right now. Uh, I understand that, but that might be a skewed sample. Well, you think people don't write terrible
5: things to me, too? People write horrible things to me. Oh, I'm sure
4: they do. I know they do.
5: Sometimes I feel like they're all coming for me, you know? It's a bloody lot to take in. How do you expect anyone to remain sane in this position? Of course I can't handle all the attention. Sean, would you... Just make sure to fill up that water bottle. When we head out, we'll throw a little water in. No, you that don't nice. do that. Now,
4: <laughs> oh, sorry. You weren't supposed to hear that. What that do you was... mean?
5: I'm not supposed to. I'm sitting right here. Goddamn it. We're doing a televised interview. You're trying to humiliate me in front of your youth audience.
4: You know, I can't lie. It's all going in the video because <laughs> goddamn. But maybe you should take a step out of the public eye for a year no, and just reflect.
5: I'm going to stay in the public eye and I'm going to push myself to my bloody limit.
4: At, at least take a break from the email inbox. Don't don't read any more that praise box.
5: Tells me I'm a god. Never gonna stop checking that inbox.
4: After the break on Aaron, we talked to Morgan
5: about his grandmother. Why, why, why are you bringing up my grandmother? Well, Esther J. Beery was, she was a goddamn, sorry, she was, she was. Well, she it's, was it's not dunk. our position.
4: We think she had the perfect amount of babies. No, she's Aaron.
5: a goddamn, she's a goddamn incredible person. Bloody disrespectful! Oh you're no, I'm trying to get your sizzle tape of old beauty. You're just like everyone else. You're a vulture. You knew this. You no, knew I really, how I, like, feel about I enjoyed it. your
4: book. I've uh, liked well, a lot I of your lectures. You I'm honestly, I've down. I've been a fan for a long time. I just think you've had a bit of. You're going off a bit. You need to take a break.
2: <laughs>
5: just a little tired. It's okay. We all
4: get tired. It is okay. It is I, I okay. can still
5: do the circuit. I'm just don't play this tape on your show.
4: Well, that's not my decision. That's the producer's decision. And I can tell you right now what decision they're going to make. And Mm. it's all going. What are
5: their plans?
0: The other thing I want to touch on here that's connected to misanthropy and politics and the danger of misanthropy mm. is the common anti democratic sentiment that you run into, which is again something that comes from on comes high. From the t-
4: yeah, I was going to. Yeah. <laughs> Another <laughs> example of people who have been harmed by society the most adopting the ideas of the people who harmed them. Because you know who thinks that the people can't handle real democracy and need to be controlled? Dictators, the people who are in- tyrants. All the people who hold the levers of power right now are really scared of that power being distributed more broadly. There are people on earth right now that are literally kings,
0: queens, princes, princesses, presidents, prime ministers, people who command resource wealth beyond your wildest imagination, people who own more land than you've ever traversed across, Hmm. who think that in order for the planet to be saved, they need to curtail your right to political participation and then kill off a bunch of us. This is a real political idea that's floating out there among people who have real, real power. And then for there to be this sort of like horseshoe theory thing between literal kings and princes and like anarcho-nihilists, where their base position is both that the anarcho-nihilists should and will die and the rich people should die but probably won't. Like, yeah, it's-, <laughs> it's a death cult. I'm trying to warn you, it's a death cult. It's a death cult. And Right now, in the province where we live, there's a referendum on proportional representation, moving from first past the post to proportional representation. And friends of mine, like people that I respect, including leftists, talk about this idea of letting people actually vote for who they prefer is this disastrous thing. Oh, we're going to get Nazis in parliament. Right. You know, there's enough people out there who want Nazis in parliament. So our only option you, you know, you, you know. <laughs> our only option is to make sure that all politics is worked out in backrooms between between powerful people and they avoid letting the
4: fucking poor idiots vote for the Nazis they want someone made this point to me recently. They're like, oh, you think democracy is good? Well, look what democracy just produced in America. We got Donald Trump. And it's like, no, no, look at what percentage of the people in America vote. Like if America had proportional representation, even if it was just a two party system, Hillary Clinton would be the president if it was proportional because she got more votes than he did. But more than that, if the American public had really more than two options uh, and not these fake kind of third party options, if they had like 16 Options, there's no way Donald Trump gets to be the big head honcho. Like, people voted for Trump for a lot of reasons. Some of those reasons were economic desperation, the fact that Bernie lost the primary to Hillary. There's people who would have voted for other options had there been other options and if their votes would mean something because it's a proportionally representative system. Yes, there are Nazis and they will vote for Nazis, but there are also a lot of non-Nazis. There's more non-Nazis. Proportional representation, most of the time you have a threshold. Usually the threshold's
0: around 5%. That's one in 20 people. Do you think one in 20 people in your country are Nazis? Because if so... I mean, you could think that it might be true depending on where you live. I got and, and knows.
4: definition of Nazi, how broad, yeah. But regardless
0: If that's the case, and 1 in 20 people are fucking Nazis, the solution isn't less democracy. It's figuring out what to do with these fucking Nazis, how to make them not Nazis anymore. And it's probably
4: not a spree killing. I know that was probably on a few people's mind right there. They're like, well, what do we do with the Nazis? Mm, Probably a quick spree spree killing, killing. like a righteous one. (laughs) No. If the first thing that pops into your mind, when what is the solution to the problem of people doing the wrong thing? And your idea is spree killing. That's a death cult. Get out of the death cult. Join us over here in the life cult. Now that's a cult I want to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> the cult of life.
0: Because what we can do in this world, in our lives, where the universe made self-aware. Uh, we have an incredible capacity for mutual aid and compassion and learning and mm-hmm. building together. We've yep. done incredible things in the past and we're going to do incredible things in the future together. But part of that is letting other people live, letting other people experience the world and participate and thrive and create the capacity for people to thrive by making sure that we end things like homelessness and poverty and starvation and give people access access to the resources they need through education and libraries And collaborative systems like participatory budgeting, which is the coolest type of budgeting, I might add. I know you budgeting fans love all budgeting, but this one's particularly good. (laughs) No, but we really can build what would seem to us like an unbelievable utopia. And, And people in the far past, if they knew what we had today, would think that we're already in an incredible utopia. But there's still so much work to do. Like Aaron said earlier it's been, what, 50, 60, 70 years since the environmental movement started that we became aware that human beings are severely impacting this rock that we live on. It's going to be hard. It's going to require a lot of work, but we have enough for everyone. We we can have a democratic society. We can have a society where people are treated with respect and where we avoid unnecessary torture and death and despair and anxiety and pain and suffering. We don't need to live in that society and. Like, get out of the death cult, man. That's all I have to say. Get out of the death cult. We can build an ever more perfect society together. Move always step by step, utope by utope to a more perfect society. We can do it together. I love you. Thank you for listening.
4: Just have an amazing week. Love yourself, love others. Peace be unto you. And now we resolve the cliffhanger from the beginning of the episode where Jeffrey and his misanthropic friend who just watched that scene from The Matrix were on the cusp of Jeffrey's decision of whether or not to join the death cult.
0: So, buddy... Death cult time, am I right? The death cult. You, Uh, me, death cult. Join the death cult, man. Death cult, death cult, death uh, cult, death cult. Come on, Jeffrey.
4: You know
0: what? I think I'm going to say... Okay, I'm just going to have to pause right here. This isn't going to make any sense unless I explain something basic. So in Wrong Town, where both of these characters live, all of their private thoughts move in space via satellite. So when they think something... It actually passes through a satellite first before getting to them, or it's part of the system of Wrongtown. it's the way thoughts travel. So what basically happened is, due to a malfunctioning and aging satellite system that was set up in the 1970s, a thought that was not intended for Jeffrey got into his head, and this thought contained the right tactics. Now back to Jeffrey having received thoughts from a satellite at this very
4: pivotal moment. Oh shit, whoa, w- weird. I just feel like I just had this thought or like a, a bunch of thoughts. I don't know. It almost feels like uh, the satellite's mixed up or something. I don't know. I'm just sorry. That was disorienting. Death cult. Join the death cult? I don't it's know if to... I want to join the death cult. So hey, I'm just trying to away sort away. through <laughs> all these thoughts I'm having here.
0: Here, let me just get the tape. Let me get the tape. It's the tape yeah, from the Matrix. I do have a positive
4: emotional it. association with that tape. Yeah, I'm just yeah, going to pop uh, this in here. And... It's, it's already around
1: to the right part. That's so we could just
0: hit play again. okay yeah
1: let's do it every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment but you humans do not you move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed and the only way you can survive is to spread to another area there is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure.
0: So, what do you think? Uh, pretty
4: good, compelling argument, am I right? I don't know, man. Is that even true that human beings are the only species that maximizes the resources and reproduces until they run out of something fundamental? Like, doesn't all animals do that? Like, that's how balance in nature is attained, like these clashing <laughs> Malthusian yeah, but animal situations. Like, I all animals know, do I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That just seems factually wrong. Who even it. knows? Like, but, humans are the only animals that do that. The thing yeah. that actually seems unique about humans is that we have such an increased capacity that maybe we can be the first animals not to do this i mean yeah i mean i don't who knows yeah what, i just who cares okay like this is a crazy thought and you're gonna maybe want to like look down on me for it or put your sunglasses on or treat me bad but I, I gotta say it because take i'm my really feeling case it. out now to be ready i i don't want to join the death cult in Ooh. fact, I think maybe this whole detached, ironic, misanthropic ideology that we've been inhabiting should also go in the garbage bin of history. No, no, it's a countercultural thing. It's like up against power. It's not, though. We're echoing what they say about us. But no, but, and we're also saying it about them. Yeah, but we don't have the power. They have the power. So, like, the people who are hurt by it isn't them, it's us. We're hurting ourselves by thinking like that. Like, all the things we dislike about us and how good we are at using up resources in this way that's ecologically destructive, that ingenuity and creativity could all be used to not just avert ecological disaster but build a much better society the society that we ostensibly have always wanted and that we for some reason thought an ironic detached misanthropic worldview would take us there but of course it won't why would we have thought that i should buy you a sheriff's
0: badge because you seem to want to step into your new role as the cariff of Wrongtown. you care so much you've got such a big heart I do care. And you know oh, what? I'm sweetie, not, even, I'm not ashamed heart.
4: to care anymore. I, of course we should care about look people. As, Isn't that sweetie, what society's about? heart about? Oh, sweetie's big heart over here. Isn't the idea of left-wing politics that we should take care of each other, that we should have a real community, a global community that we're all a part of, and where we share Can't the massive vote. wealth, the material wealth and the intellectual wealth of history in order to create a society where everybody can participate in the way that maximizes both their own potential and the potential of society and just this like we're we're shooting for something positive right aren't we like i know we're not there yet and i know that's disheartening but don't we want to at least attempt to embody the emotional space of the society we want to go to don't you think so it's not often um people have the strength to do this and I want to be the
0: change. I want to be the change that I want to see in the world. I want to prefigure the society that should exist. Yes. I just have to admit I'm completely owned. And I'm just going to do an about face about it. I'm just going to own it. I'm going to a culpa turn around and that is be like, brave of yeah, you. from what you're saying, which is really compelling and has a lot of good points. And like, I've got this whole thing. I've got my sunglasses yeah. case out. <laughs> what am I doing? Let's
4: throw these sunglasses let's in the, the garbage. Let's
0: throw these sunglasses in the garbage. What? What is cool? Being cool? Oh, wait, no, I'm
4: going to keep mine, but just for when it's sunny outside. Not oh, all good. the time. Ta- yeah. Really good point. That was close, actually. <laughs> yeah, that'd be silly. I'd probably just have to buy new ones just and for a gesture.
0: That's an example of like what being cool does to us, you know. I was like, I wanted to be cool and throw my
4: sunglasses away. Yeah, it's these like performative gestures. Yeah. These
0: sunglasses are two hundred and thirty dollars. They were a gift from my mother for Christmas. <laughs> what a disrespect to her yeah, to throw yeah, them away. Silly, silly. Um, and you
4: know, I mean, I'm sorry for owning you like that. It wasn't uh, against you as a person. I think you have inherent human worth. And you know, I was owned by the thoughts that just popped into my head by the satellite. That's kind of how I felt. Only there was. No person to talk. I felt owned by all these great ideas that came into my head. Oh man. These tactics. On
0: one hand, it really sucks to get owned. But on the other hand, when you can
4: be owned productively, mm, yeah. Constructive owning. Oh, yeah. No, this is something I've been thinking about recently is that like, Instead of feeling bad whenever I get owned, I'm going to always try to channel that into a positive change and use it to update my own thoughts and ideology because it can suck getting owned, but like you just demonstrated it for me. I had had the thought once before and like, that's just, I can't say I'm going to be perfect, but I'm going to try and always do that when I'm owned from now on.
0: Yeah. The next time that I get freaking owned and I'm just so owned, instead of feeling primarily heartbroken, I'm going to see it as a way to move forward. Yeah, an opportunity for growth. Absolutely. Well, and also there's something else that we need to talk about. I think it's really important, which is Mm. that, you know, there's both the oppositional and there's also the reconstructive and you've owned me and that was oppositional. Yeah, that was and right, it was right. it was good. It was good. But I really think to be committed to the values that you've espoused is that you also need to have we also need to collaborate on a reconstructive effort because, you know, I've been owned and I'm I'm lost. I don't know where to go.
4: Where do I go from here? Yeah, right. I mean, I'm just sorting through all this myself, but it's glad to know that you're willing to sort through it with me and build a better narrative, build a better approach and like head towards this better future that we both imagine with the attitude and emotional state that it deserves. I'm just looking forward to that. (sighs) Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. Just around the corner, just around the corner. I'm looking forward to that. And now I'm looking towards the audience and I'm saying, thank you so much, all of you for listening to the podcast this week. And I know we got polemical, but we're passionate about this. Mm -hmm. And we love you. We love you so much. You have no idea.
0: While you're sleeping, Sean, while you're sleeping at night, sometimes, I mean, it embarrasses us to say, but Aaron and I creep in your window while you sleep, watch your body gently rising and falling, smile to
4: ourselves, look at each other. What an angel, we say. What an angel and a scholar. A true, beautiful genius. You know, I just got a thought. Maybe this is from a satellite. I don't know. But we actually shouldn't break into people's rooms because that's that's a violation of their personal space. Oh. I feel owned by that thought that just... Yeah, kind of, I feel owned. <laughs> yeah, no. It's weird that we did that, but... Sorry, I, We did it out of love, but we do realize it was wrong. And we commit to changing in the future. Last night was the last time. Yeah, we're going to use this as an opportunity for growth. So...
0: Thank you. Thanks oh. for listening. Thanks for listening. And, and thank you to the satellites, which give us all of our thoughts. next time on seriously wrong
4: oh no sean don't don't jump in that hole oh please let me jump in the big hole we don't know what's at the bottom it could be dangerous i want to find out but you can find out other ways you don't have to jump
0: my New Year's resolution is to live my best life and say yes to life
4: and do what's right And but do what's pragmatic not what your impulses tell you <gasps> I'm falling oh no Sean, oh no are you okay? it's been pleasant so far I do you have that rushing I'm feeling in the bottom of your stomach like on a drop ride at a theme park or I'm definitely getting that feeling a lot if you hit something hard and die just not, i always liked working with you on the show and it will never be the same without you uh,
5: well i appreciate that and also it
0: might be soft uh, i don't know whoa, whoa that part was weird whoa uh, back to normal uh. <laughs> you know uh Will Sean ever hit the bottom? Uh, something like that. Tune in next time to Seriously Wrong to find out.
4: Splashing sound effects. We could or do, we could do a, a splash. S- yeah. Or a s- smash. Oh, oh, you know what we could do? Just cut to a funeral theme song. Yeah. Or a wedding theme song. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, wedding
0: theme song. Sean is walking down the aisle getting married to the big <laughs> hole in the ground.
2: <laughs>
4: You know, I was with him when he first met that big hole in the ground, and I, I told him not to jump into it. <laughs> and look, like, look, look at him at now. Him now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is so crazy. You know, I thought, what were we doing when we first? Oh, I jumped down. You. Oh my God, that's so funny. It's like that's
4: a, so a different lifetime. It was like insane. a world wow. ago. Oh
0: my God.
2: She is so um, weird.
0: Oh, um, I'm so glad that we opted to use the rice this time. It's one of the variables in the equation. Yeah, I've, I've
4: wanted rice at my wedding since I was a little hole in the ground. I am the luckiest guy in the world. I'm the luckiest human being in the world. You're the luckiest human being in the world. I'm the luckiest big giant literal hole in the ground shoveled out of dirt in the world. You're a human. I'm a hole in the ground. We have a lot of differences, but in the end we came together yeah, we love each other.
0: That was deep. That was really deep. It's one of the things I love about you. It's you're such a deep bowl.